In recent years, the U.S. has undergone a shale gas revolution, and it is likely that in a few years' time, the U.S. will be the world's largest producer of clean energy. With me today to uh, talk more and explain more about what shale gas is all about is a current MBA student, Henry Heinz. Henry, tell me a bit about what you did before the MBA. Okay. I'm from Georgia. I went to Georgia Tech for my mechanical engineering degree. While there, I uh, did a year at the nuclear plant uh, in Georgia. Um, That kind of kicked off my career in energy. And Mm -hmm. then afterwards, I got hired into BP's engineering development program called Challenge. Um, Worked there for five years doing facility engineering work, um, specifically about water disposal, trying to get rid of uh, evaporate and inject water. So, Okay. So, Henry, can you tell us a bit about what is shale gas? Okay. Um, shale gas is uh, really just gas from shell rock, and shell rock is a black, muddy-like, uh, quartz-like rock. Uh, it can be found pretty much anywhere in the world. A lot of countries have shell rock uh, at some point or in their country, but um, really it it holds gas and it has low permeability, which meaning it's difficult to flow through, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it has high voids, which means it's high porosity. So uh, well, what do you mean by high voids? Does that mean there's, there's, there's gaps, is it? That means there's gaps. So, so this is like air gaps. Exactly. But in this case, in, in a lot of shale, uh, there's oil and gas in those voids. Um, so mm. they've known this for a long time. Uh, the question has been how to get it out because a lot of times just going and having access to the rock, it won't flow under its own pressure. Mm. Um, so uh, wells haven't been economical, but recent technology has uh, allowed some companies to access and increase the flow of the rock, uh, making it economical to get that oil and gas out. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about what is this this new technology? This is fracking, is it? Right. Um, Well, fracking itself has been around for a while. I think I've seen some estimates late 1800s, early 1900s. Oh, from the last century? Right. Um, But it's, it's really a process of... Uh, once you drill a well, uh, which is basically just putting a hole in the ground, uh, then you come in and complete that well, which means uh, a servicer will come in and pump uh, water and sand uh, at high pressure into the well, and that will hit your what you call pay zone, which is the rock that has the oil and gas. Um, and that high-pressure water and sand will crack or fracture that rock, um, the sand will then enter and prop that crack open uh, and allowing the oil or gas to flow out more easily. Um, So that's just typical uh, fracturing. Uh, But as with shale gas, it's it's not that simple because just cracking it open doesn't allow all the oil or gas to flow out as easily because it's low permeability. So this newer technique is called slick water fracking. Um, it's been around for 20 or 30 years, and it adds chemicals that makes the water less viscous and easier to flow. Um, so they pump lots of water and can do multiple stages of fracking, which basically is crack after crack after crack, um, accessing more of the rock to these fractures. Um, and the, the high water 
and the chemicals allow the oil and gas to flow out easier. So mm. that's really the technique that's come out that has given people access to shale gas. Mm. You, you, you said that there's also this new technique in terms of drilling where, I mean, I, I guess in the popular conception of drill, oil drilling, it's some prospector drills vertically downwards and then oil just comes gushing out. Is that, is that what you see in a shale gas operation? Well, uh, a long time ago, they would just put a vertical well and under its own pressure, it would flow out of the reservoir and up through the well, and that's when you see what they call it the gushers. Okay. And, um, but uh, nowadays, a lot of those wells are already been accessed, um, so it's the more difficult reservoirs like shale gas that we have to do uh, have left to do with right now. So um, the new technique is actually called horizontal drilling, and it allows a company to drill down until they hit the shell rock, and then make pretty you know basically a turn, and then access. Uh, go straight into the shell rock and access that shell rock for all the way up to a mile possibly. So you have a long distance and surface area of the well bore uh, with access to the shell gas. Okay. Just just give us a bit of a um, perspective here. So how deep do people drill vertically? Um, some are pretty shallow, um, but I, in my world I would see a shallow well as three to 5,000 feet. Uh, a deep well... Own land would be ten to twelve thousand, maybe ten to twelve thousand um, feet. Right. So that's almost what two miles. Yeah, two miles. So three, three, almost three kilometers. Right. And I'm not sure what records are, but I, I'm, I know they've gone very deep. So they'll dig. I mean, they'll drill as deep as three kilometers and then do a turn. Exactly. Uh, do a turn and then go another mile. So, uh, and they can do all this in about seven to ten days, depending on how efficient. The, the drilling rig is. Can you talk about the incentives about drilling so quickly? So uh, a drilling rig is very big piece of equipment and mm. is leased uh, from uh, the drilling rig company to the operator. Mm. Um, and they'll lease it to them and then operate it at about, I'm not sure the exact number, some are around a million a day, um, depending on what exactly it's doing. So sometimes a... Uh, a well that costs seven to eight uh, days will cost you seven to eight million, depending on what it's doing. Mm. Uh, but typically, a well might cost uh, one to you know eight million, depending on what it's doing. Mm. So that's the first part where you've got um, a company like BP would get a contractor to do that drilling, and as you say, it's a million a day. Right. So then, then what happens? Uh, as soon as you get done drilling, um, the drilling rig moves off because you don't want that equipment on uh, doing the more delicate, tedious work of completions is what they call it. And then you'll have uh, a bigger company like uh, Halliburton or Schlumberger come in and complete the well, uh, which was what I was saying uh, is the act of fracking typically, which is pumping water, sand, chemicals at high pressures down into the well to fracture the rock. And typically, how long does that process take? Uh, and that's also another, basically, like I was saying, you could uh, do multi-stage fracking, which is frack after frack, uh, own those fracks. And um, uh, those can take maybe up to 20 days, um, give or take. I mean, it, it's also a large range. Is shale gas cleaner than natural gas or cleaner than oil? So when they say shale gas, they really just mean natural gas, typically methane. The majority of it's methane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just comes from a shale reservoir. It's really no different 
than gas from a traditional vertical well okay. uh, gas reservoir. Um, but right now it goes for about the same price as other methanes, uh, depending on where you are in the U.S. It could be 3 to $4 uh, per MCF, which is 1,000 standard, standard cubic feet. But from an environmental point of view, is it cleaner than oil? Cleaner? Uh, I guess it's the same as natural gas, is it? It is. Um, and natural gas is much, much cleaner than oil. Um, and especially once it's burned, um, the products of burning natural gas is, is much less harmful to the environment. And that's why in uh, places like North Dakota, where there's a lot of oil activity going on, they're required by regulation to at least burn the, the gas, if not capture it and sell it, um, because burning it is less harmful. It's the byproduct is water vapor and carbon dioxide and monoxide. So uh, the, the byproduct is much less harmful. So what are the environmental concerns about fracking? Uh, fracking, the main ones are water contamination, um, contaminating water aquifers um, that people have access to every day. Um, and so, so these would be like wells that people rely on for, for, for their water needs. Exactly. Mm. And so those aquifers can be contaminated through uh, when they actually do the fracture. Um, if there was some way for the water that they were using to frack and those chemicals migrated over time to these water aquifers, it would be potentially harmful. Um, some of those chemicals are uh, benzene and methanol, things like that, that are, could be pretty harmful if ingested. Mm. And then uh, the other way is once they actually com complete the well, um, a lot of that water is returned back to surface. They try to get as much back, um, and then it's stored on location. And if that were to leak out and get uh, on the ground, it would be much easier to cont contaminate shallow aquifers because you've leaked onto the ground. So, so they, you said they try to get as much of that water out. Is that because they want to reuse the water or is it to minimize contamination? Um, some people can reuse it. Um, but another, you just want to try to get as much water back because the gas uh, to flow out easier, you want to get that liquid off the well. Mm. Um, and that's liquid deloading, I guess is what you could call it. Mm. Um, that's the main reason. And then uh, other ways that are potentially harmful to the environment is some of these fracks are near faults. And you'll hear some people talk about potential earthquakes or small micro-earthquakes caused by fracking. Um, they have some things to monitor these uh, small earthquakes that you create. Um, but if you're near a fault, uh, drilling this well and fracking could be cause that fault to slip and cause a bigger earthquake. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the concern can be uh, taken out because everything that a, an operator does when they frack is submitted to, um, I guess, county and federal officials so that everyone's aware of what they're going to do so mm -hmm. they can try to prevent these things beforehand. Okay. When you, you said that the water comes out so and it's stored on location, right? what do they do with this water, which has, you know, obviously has lots of chemicals in it? Um, so you have three options. One is to treat the water. Mm. Uh, and depending on what's in the water can tell you how easy or not it's going to be to treat. Methanol is really hard to get out of water. Um, but depending on what's in there, you can treat it and reuse it. Uh, the other two options is you've got to dispose it 
uh, via um, evaporation or disposing by injecting back into the ground into a very deep aquifer, water aquifer. So, so you say just by evaporating, you just wait. No, uh, that's one way. If you're in a dry area, it will eventually evaporate. Uh, but also they have some uh, accelerators to speed up the process and help evaporate. Basically, sending water through snow machines and a, a snowblower basically is a way to increase evaporation. And then you'll blow it back into a pond, uh, which is how we would get rid of it in the dry desert. So, so Henry, you're um, on the Cambridge MBA. What have you learned from the Cambridge MBA that's given you more insights into the energy field? I think uh, as a whole, some of the classes kind of give some insight on why companies are doing what they're doing, especially in oil and gas. Uh, one being finance. Mm-hmm. Um, take, for example, shale gas has what they call a production curve of uh, a very short uh, span, meaning that it comes on really high and then falls off very quickly. Mm-hmm. When you say short, how short? I mean, what's the time frame where we talking uh, about? A lot of wells will come on booming is what they'll say, and it, it, you'll get very high flow rates uh, for the first few years, and then it falls off quickly, so it has a quick fall off. Okay. So, you know, even five years later, you might have to go back in and do additional fracking to have, uh, to have access to more gas, mm-hmm. or um, you can just wait or sell it. You have other options, mm-hmm. but... Um, so, so the life of a well is maybe up to five years. And that, yeah, that depends on a basin. So right. uh, shell gas might have a short lifespan or depending on which basin. Right. Um, but other uh, reservoirs might have much longer, 20 years. There's mm. st- some that are really long uh, that still produce. Mm. Um, so you're saying how finance – how does finance help you understand the, the economics then? Um, so basically when you're going to get money um, mm-hmm. and – for example, if, if you believe that the price of oil and gas is going to slowly, if the trend's going to be up as the world needs more energy, the price of oil might go up, then you might be more willing to drill through a low gas or oil price, uh, basically meaning you might be losing money in the short term for the hope of having a good set of wells when the price comes back up. And maybe those wells have a longer life, uh, so your drilling will pay off longer. But at the same time, if you have a if the price of gas is high in the short term um, or oil's high, you might want a well that's going to produce a lot in the short term. So I guess when things happen is a big makes a really big difference in uh, in energy. You'll see uh, the rig counts is what they say. The rig how many rigs are available and in use in the U.S. Um, vary a lot uh, just within a couple of years, and a lot of it has to do with uh, when you're going to get money. Okay. Thanks very much, Henry, for giving us a great insight into shale gas, fracking, and uh, I hope you continue to work in the energy sector with all the new knowledge that you've gained on the Cambridge MBA. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.